Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week, I sit down with Bob Petrella. During our conversation, Bob, one of the few dozen people in the world who has been diagnosed with hypothymesia, talks about growing up in northwestern Pennsylvania, how a near-perfect autobiographical memory has impacted his life, and some of the early insights scientists have gleaned from researching HSAM. All right, Bob. Well, first of all, I wanted to just say thank you for taking some time to come on the show. It's really good to to have you on the exchange and uh, and welcome on here. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. For sure. So I know we were talking a little bit about uh, kind of your life before I turned the recorder on, but would love to just sort of hear from you where you grew up. I know we grew up uh, somewhat near each other in Pennsylvania, but um, where uh, you grew up in Beaver Falls. What was what was your life like there? How long did you stay in Pennsylvania? I know you're in California now, I, I think now. Um, what, what was sort of the trajectory that led you out west? Well, I uh, grew up outside of Pittsburgh, as you said, in a small town called Beaver Falls. I claim the fame is Joe Namath. Uh, and uh, I, it was a steel mill town, like a lot of the little towns around Pittsburgh, where most of the western Pennsylvania was a factory town. And my dad was a steel worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, a lot of it, uh, you know, we grew up uh, a couple blocks from the river, so a lot of the uh, youth, my youth was just spending, uh, spent uh, playing sports, you know, mainly basketball, football, baseball, and having any interest in sports. That was the main thing that drove me. It wasn't uh, entertainment or TV. And then when I got into college, I went to Penn State, and uh, I started doing impressions of uh, politicians <laughs> and actors and stuff, and I kind of got an inkling to do stand-up. So uh, I came to California to pursue stand-up, and I, I made a living at it barely in the mm. 80s. You know, I would I would make a living at it for the year, but it was kind of tough, and, uh, uh, you know, I would get by, but it was just a thing where, you know, I didn't want to be 50 years old sitting in a coffee shop wondering if I, you know, got that commercial audition. Mm. So I kind of got out of it and got into TV production in, uh, in, uh, in my 40s, in the 90s. And, uh, but no, it was fun growing up there. I still have a lot of friends back there. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of them didn't know I had this great memory when I was <laughs> growing up. I didn't even know how unique of a memory it was because I'd be talking to people in high school and I'd talk to them about something that happened when we were a little kid and they wouldn't remember it. And I'd say, yeah, you, you remember it was on November 3rd. It was a Friday. And they just kind of like, what? What are you talking about? And that's kind of when I realized my memory was a little different because I thought everybody remembered dates and days of the week, you know, when they were younger. Hmm. And was there was there one particular date that you remember it clicking with you that this is not something that most people have the capacity to do? Or was it more of a gradual uh, realization? It was, a gra- it was a gradual thing where I understood. And I thought maybe it had to tie in. Like I said, I was really into sports growing up. Of course, sports a lot of times is about numbers and stats. And so I thought just the, the dates, you know, that I, uh, you know, I had an infatuation with, with numbers maybe or, or dates. I mean, I didn't really think that much about it. You know, I kind of knew it was a little unique. 
I saw Mary Lou Henner, who, who as you know, also has HSAM, mm-hmm. the acronym for Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory. And I saw her on The Tonight Show in 1982. I think it was October 20th. And, uh, and uh, she was talking about, and uh, the, uh, I don't think Carson was there, but she was talking about remembering days of her life. And I said, oh, okay, someone else is kind of like me. So I didn't think it was that rare. Mm. Uh, I just thought that... Uh, it was something that was, you know, like being a redhead or being <laughs> left-handed. I didn't think it was that rare until, you know, just within the last 10 years. Hmm. And w- did it did it in any way impact your relationship with your friends? I mean, your ability to remember, you know, slights that may have come against you or compliments that people had given you that they had totally forgotten about, did, did that impact your social relationships at all or, or not particularly? I think so, too, although I wasn't as conscious about it. I'm more conscious about it now where I would always remember anniversaries or dates that happened, some event that happened with us. And I'd say three three years ago, you know, we almost got busted by the cops or something, <laughs> some weird, crazy experience that happened. Or three years ago, you know, we had that we had Super Party 1 or something because we used to have this big party at Penn State called Super Party, even after I got out of college. So there were a lot of social events or experiences that I experience with people when I would always call uh, up to dates or, you know, uh, and now it's more uh, impactful or eventful because I can uh, remember people's birthdays without using, uh, you know, I don't need a stinking Facebook reminder <laughs> or, uh, uh, or I remember people's anniversaries like the 60 Minutes producer. Uh, uh, well, I was on 60 Minutes three times, and she uh, her her wedding anniversary was yesterday. Mm. And one of the questions she used was that was one of the dates she used was what she got married June 15th, 98, mm-hmm. which was a Monday, which was unusual to get married on a Monday. That was one of the questions she used to to uh, when was she first started doing the memory piece. Mm. And so every June 15th, I usually text their happy anniversary, you know, whether it's 15, 16, not 18 years. So so there's that kind of bond there that people know I'm going to remember anniversaries or, you know, 10 years ago today we did this. In fact, I I texted my friend who got married in 2005. They got engaged September 9th, and, of course, that date passed, and I had texted them. I said, oh, I forgot to text you that you guys got engaged 10 years ago yesterday. And she said, oh, I didn't even realize that. You know, so anyway, just little stuff like that. that, But I mean, I think that I hope it wasn't just my memory. I mean, I have a lot of good friends. I hope I was just, you know, I was personable enough Mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, I, you know, that wasn't the thing that was driving people, uh, you know, to be a friend or, you know, a colleague. Sure. And, and so for, for people that are trying to understand what it's like to be inside of your head, I, do, would you say it's probably like asking a normal person with a normal memory, what did you have for dinner last night? And the recall is just right there instantly. Or what is the processing like for, for you when you're asked questions about your life from 20 or 30 years ago? Yeah, it's probably like that. And I think the, uh, the key about this is that, uh, yeah, it is the instant recall. Like, I can go back to any time in my life, you know, the college years, the high school years or whatever, and, uh, you know, like a certain day or date, and then I'll, I'll start thinking about it, uh, you know, if I have the time, if I'm work or something, I'm not going to ponder the date. Or, but I'll go back to that time, and I feel like I'm really back there, and I can almost, 
you know, all my senses would kind of stimulate as well. I almost feel like how hot it was or what type of, you know, if it's the 70s, what type of leisure suit or polyester <laughs> shirt I was wearing or platform shoes. You know, you almost feel like you're back there and what your views and attitudes were. And you, I almost feel like I'm back there. It's almost like having a DeLorean time machine. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, the Dr. McGaugh, the doctor who's, who's doing these studies at UC Irvine, Dr. James McGaw had said that uh, it's not as much that we're remembering more as far as a normal person. We're just forgetting a lot less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and the the point I think that that is somewhat interesting and, and that I want to wanted to ask you about as well. So it's it's not just facts. It's uh, correct me if I'm wrong about that, but it sounds like it's also the emotional experience oh, of, of things that yeah. happened as well. It's it's the entirety of, of your life in given moments back in history. Exactly. That's that's a good way to uh uh, uh to uh, yeah, that's a precise way to explain it. Uh it is very emotionally driven and when I speak at colleges and I talk about that and uh in other uh, other places I, I speak at talking about the memory and I tell people that it is very emotionally driven and those ones, and I think that is way with most people there uh, that are emotionally affected by something like, say, 9-11 or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're going to remember where they were at. We just have to remember for more experiences than most people. But it is very emotionally driven where I can remember uh, the, the, the very good and very bad days, fortunately more good days, mm-hmm. are very indelible with me. And I can, you know, remember them much clearer than, uh, even though they were a bad day, I can remember them much clearer than, say, just an average day. Mm-hmm. And how or you, an average experience, I should say. Yeah. In what ways do you think this is this has been an asset to your life? And in what ways do you think it's been a hindrance? I mean, is it something that you view generally as as being a, a favorable thing that you wouldn't want to give up, or has it been, especially because of the emotional memory as well of of difficult times, or maybe it's a it's a great thing because it's mostly you can recall wonderful times. It's it's not it's not troubling. But how do you view it as as something that uh, you have to deal with? Is it a, a positive thing generally, or not necessarily? Uh, it's more of a, it's more of a gift than a curse, so to speak. Uh, I think that uh, as far as the good and bad days, when you think back about the good days, and especially uh, me years ago, I learned to appreciate that a certain time of my life was, it was back in high school actually when, that's not when the memory kicked in, but uh, uh, I, I knew that uh, when I was in high school, I think it was my junior year, I don't remember the date, I mean it was just a gradual thing, but thinking that, wow, this this, this time is never going to be replicated again where I'm in, because high school was, for me, I liked high school, a lot of people don't, but I loved high school because you were with almost all of your friends, so if you take all of your friends today where they're in different cities some of them are all over the world but you had all of your close friends and you saw them every day mm-hmm. and uh you know it was it was very a very unique time and that was never going to be replicated and of course certain periods aren't going to be replicated even though you do reunions say college or high school and so i kind of absorbed those times and it locked in my memory now i can go back to certain memories mostly good and and, and think about that and I've always done that. And even with the bad memories, sometime, uh, if they're bittersweet, I remember, uh, you know, maybe a final day of work at a place that I liked working at or a final day of school or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or fi- 
And uh, like the la- my brother died, uh, my younger brother passed away in 2000, early 2012. And the last time I saw him was about a week before, the day after Christmas, 2011. And so uh, I absor- I knew this was going to be the last time I saw him. So I was, I was absorbing or milking every moment of that and thinking about, uh, you know, the times. And I had a, a few photos of him on my lap because I knew this was going to be the last time I saw him, and I had photos of him as a kid. And so as we were talking, I was kind of looking down at the photos because I knew when I looked at those photos again in the future that he wouldn't be around. So I was trying to absorb those, those final moments with him. And he was very cognizant. He, had, he died of cancer, but he was, you know, very alert at that time. I think a few days later he really uh, uh, was kind of out of it because all the morphine and everything. But that at the time I saw him, he was very, uh, like I said, cognizant. And that's a time that I appreciated and can go back to. And, uh, and also, when I knew he was dying throughout the year, when I would listen to him on the phone, because he lived in Pennsylvania and we would talk, I knew that, you know, this, you know, I wouldn't be hearing his voice that much longer. So, hmm. so that, that's the thing where even the bad times, you can appreciate them or, uh, uh, you know, because especially, I'm not talking about just something like that, but maybe a bad experience that you no longer have, maybe at work or being being some crazy stranded experience at the airport, mm-hmm. and then you look back on it and go, "Wow, I'm glad that's not happening to me now." Yeah. You know, so the downside I would say is sometimes when I'm experiencing something uh, uh, that that's similar, a bad experience that I had gone through. Uh, in my life, and it's somewhat experienced. I say being stranded at the airport or being delayed at the airport, and I, I start thinking back and I start feeling exactly how I did in that bad moment, and then mm-hmm. I have to remind myself, well, it's it's a different moment, it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And and the the studies I know you mentioned the the researcher at UC Irvine who's beginning to compile information about the, I think it's roughly 40 people in the world that have sort of tested into the classification of an HSAM individual. Um, are you familiar with that research? And, and if so, what, what sort of um, insights are being teased out of that analysis? Well, I, I, I'm not uh, totally familiar with it. I can give you some of the main points. They found out that the, uh, the part of the brain, and this isn't across the board, I think the early research found that the part of the brain, including myself, that retains memory is like seven times larger than the normal person. And uh, they don't know if it's a chicken or the egg, you know, whether we get seven times larger because we're always uh, using it more or we were born that way. I think we were born that way because I remember on my ninth birthday, thinking back what I did on my fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth birthday and who I was with, what day of the week it was. And also, one of the subject matters is 10 years old. So I don't think it's a thing where you just start doing this. I think you pretty much have it when you're born. And so that's one of the things that they found out that uh, the part of the brain is it's called the cogate nucleus. And supposedly it's seven times larger in most of the subjects. And they, and relating to that, that's part of the brain also that uh, where OCD is, uh, I guess, uh, uh, instigated, and all of the subject matters have some form of OCD, and I know I do. Hmm. So, uh, you know, that's that's a few of the studies that they uh, they came up with. They found out that our memories, in other instances, when it's not experiencing our life or dates or whatever, isn't that much better or worse than anybody else. Hmm. You know, like one of the memory tests they gave us was uh, 
we would look at a photo. And uh, I remember one of the photos was just a, a backyard, uh, a family in the backyard. The father was uh, barbecuing. I think the, the son was throwing a frisbee to the dog. The mom was bringing out the hamburgers and were uh, serving the hamburgers. And then they would have a look at us for a few minutes, and then they would quiz us on the visuals. Like, you know, what did the dad's uh, apron say, barbecue apron say? Or what color was the dog's collar? Uh, what what color was the, the sun's shirt and stuff like that. And we did just, it wasn't like we were doing any better because we don't have photographic memories. That's the difference. Uh, we don't have photographic. It's not autistic. It's not a savant thing. It's not absolute. We're not, I mean, I remember, I forget where I left my keys like anybody else sometimes <laughs> or where I parked my car. So, and people think it is absolute that you're not, you know, you're not forgetting anything or you're remembering everything, but that, that's not true either. And so the main things they found was, were, like I said, the seven, seven times larger for the part of the brain that retains memory and that we have, we all have uh, aspects of OCD. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering too about just in personal relationships and in, in personal lives and, and for you especially, um, has this, has your ability to you know, kind of remember so much of your life, um, do you feel like it's impacted your, your dating life or I'm not sure if you're married or not, but you know, a, a lot of people think that part of being in love or, or getting into a, a long-term relationship requires a certain amount of forgetfulness of just, you know, moving past things that people have done that, uh, you know, may have not been the, the most pleasing to you. Um, Talk about that a little bit. Has that has? Do you think your memory has impacted those areas of your life as well? Well, I think it has, uh, and it also accentuates the. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, someone will say something that you don't think, but then you think. Uh, and then let me rephrase. I think it accentuates the good and the bad. If mm-hmm. something good happens, obviously you're going to appreciate it maybe more. Uh, and then on the downside, if they say something and it's like. Maybe they're just saying it as an aside, but you remember it, and maybe you'll take a negative connotation. I don't think it's affected my relationships except on the breakup, because then the breakups are kind of hard, because then you have all these good memories that are bittersweet now. Like if you drive by your favorite restaurant, or if there was a movie that after the movie, you know, it was a great romantic experience for this movie that you saw, uh, you know, maybe or whatever happened before or after. It was just happened to be a, a great day or night for you and the woman, mm-hmm. then there's kind of a bittersweet thing that that, these, that, that certain things will just uh, cue all these memories, you know, and they come back. And so it's harder to forget sometime and you have to get by that and just move on. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's harder more on the breakup, not within the relationship, because I think they appreciate my memory within the relationship, because obviously I'm going to remember their first date or first kiss. I remember their birthday and other events. You know, I'll remember their mom's birthday, maybe or their sister's birthday. Hey, your sister's birthday's coming up, you know, <laughs> stuff, something like that. So, so they're going to appreciate, you know, the memory, uh, you know, so I think in that regards. Hmm. And, and, and it's also, I mean, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say it, it, it's, it's uh, uh, beneficial in, in friendships. It, you know, people appreciate the memory and the friendships. You know, they're fascinated with it. And, you know, then they know I'm always going to remember maybe their, their birthdays or their anniversaries or their kids' birthdays. And I would imagine your friends probably want you to tell them what they did in certain days that they probably have forgotten all about. Does that does that ever happen to you as well? 
That, that, that happens from time to time. They'll go, hey, when was the day we went to so-and-so? What, what day did we do this or what day did I do that? Even though maybe I wasn't with them sometimes. <laughs> what year did we go to? Because uh, uh, I think my a uh, couple of friends of mine had climbed Kilimanjaro and they said, and they were saying, we, they were talking about that among some other groups. And they said, what year was that? And I saw that was two, October 2010. Oh, okay. That's right. <laughs> so it's stuff like that or uh, sometimes it's funny, like I'll be with two mutual friends who don't know each other that well, and we'll be at a party or something, and uh, I'll introduce them again, even though they, I think they may know each other somewhat. And they go, wait a minute, I met you before. And I say, oh, yeah, you guys met in 2005 at my birthday party. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. You know, so, so there's stuff like that. So it's kind of comical that I'm kind of like the, uh, you know, the journal for, for all of my friends' lives a lot of times. And what about professionally? I'm wondering if this, if your memory has has you know increased your self awareness to know what sort of work environments or work circumstances you enjoy, or if you feel like it's you know, benefited you in in your work performance. How how has this impacted? Do you think generally your your professional life? Well, any of the creative fields because I used to do stand up and. Uh, uh, also now as, as uh, in TV production because those are more of the creative fields. When I did jobs that were kind of uh, uh, somewhat, uh, I, I guess I would call them boring. Uh, I don't want to say a name, but mm-hmm. just something like uh, uh, working at a mortgage banking company or uh, a loan clerk or whatever. The, the little fat jobs you had to do were kind of boring, but usually anything in the creative field doing stand-up or in TV production or writing. I wrote the Modern Marvel series. Uh, so there's a lot of aspects. I'm going to remember when we did the interview or where a, a certain clip, the time code is, or where a certain image is. So, and because I enjoy doing the work that I'm doing, uh, it's, it's beneficial for that. And I think because it's beneficial more when I'm working in the creative field. Hmm. And and the the I know you mentioned that the, one of the other aspects of of the research that seems to be uh, turning up now is is the element some elements of OCD and the people that that have HSAM. Um, what what are those sort of obsessive tendencies that either you have or that the people that have been studied seem to exhibit? Well, uh, myself, I'm uh, a bit of a germaphile. Uh, I'm not walking around with latex gloves or anything like that, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I, I wash my hands a lot. Uh, or like if I drop a pen, if I'm at work and I drop, or if I drop my pen on the ground, I'm going to like, uh, run hot water on it because, uh, or I may even throw it away if I drop it on the ground. Cause I'm not going to pick up a pen, uh, that's, uh, on the ground, you know, cause I might put it in my mouth or whatever, you know, I just don't want to handle it. In other words. Uh, so I, I'm a germaphile. Mary Lou Henner, uh, she has, uh, for every pair of shoes, she, she like has all these, like, I don't know, 50, like, uh, she has like 50 or 75 pairs of shoes and she all has them lined up in a certain way, right, right, right toe this way, left toe that way. Mm-hmm. And for every pair of shoes she's ever owned, she remembers the first time she ever wore them, mm-hmm. uh, because she's in the shoes and fashion because our memories, HSAM memories, like a lot of people are strongest where our passions or interests are strongest. Mm. Uh, you know, like I'm a big Steeler fan, obviously growing up in Western Pennsylvania, so I remember most Steeler fan uh, games and have an obsession with that. But 
if I'm not into something or, I mean, I follow politics for the most part, but I don't, I'm not going to remember every day that Donald Trump said something, uh, you know, stupid or racist. Although you probably could name any day <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> but anyway, uh, another person who has a weird OCD, he's, he's younger, he's in his 30s, and every night, I never met him, but uh, the doctor had told me what he does. Every night, he has to find an old uh, sitcom, I believe, and watch that old sitcom. And then he also has to find the commercials that were uh, relevant for that time and watch those as well. He does this, I think, every single night, hmm. which is really an obsession. And, uh, you know, the, the TV shows he's watching aren't even part of his lifetime because I think he's only, like, in his 30s. You know, but he's watching shows from like the 50s and 60s or 70s, you know, that, uh, and he'll watch these old TV shows and he'll also watch the commercials that go along with them. And, and that's, you know, I, it's like, to me, I mean, I know it's, it's his life, but to me, it's like, it's like a total waste of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why are you doing that? But anyway, so there are weird obsessions through, uh, you know, throughout all of us. Mm -hmm. And and does it does it seem like any of the other people who have HCM are just completely incapacitated? That this is just a crippling part of their personality that uh, disallows them from you know moving on from things that have happened in their life or just even functioning in daily life? No, I've had one person. I've met uh, four. I've met six of the other people, and uh, they're well, we're all kind of much the same. We love having this. There's a bond among us. It's kind of like when you see the former presidents, like, you know, the two Bushes and Clinton and Carter. There's a camaraderie, even though they had different policies and views, but they kind of get it because they, they're the only ones who understood what that job was all about. So we kind of understand that you can, you can study this and you can understand what it is, but unless you're really living the 8SAM life, you, you don't get it. So we kind of get it among ourselves. So there's a camaraderie among us. And all of the six people that I've met are very happy with this, very content with this. They like having it. Uh, there is one person who was the first person identified, and I won't name her, but uh, she is totally distraught by the whole thing and all these memories. She, she hates all these memories she has. And initially, that's why the research was done, because she went to UC Irvine and, uh, and Dr. McGaw uh, because she had these memories that, she can't get rid of, she said. She, uh, Although she writes all, she had a diary and she wrote all of her memories down, which were all of her days down, which I think was kind of productive because if you want to forget something, you don't write it down. Mm -hmm. So uh, she uh, would write all these things down and that's when he started uh, asking her about all her memories and she was throwing out dates. This is back in 2000. She's throwing out all these dates and stuff. And so he started quizzing her on national events. You know, he he found an almanac or a book of national events from the 20th century, and he just started, you know, quizzing her on, like, the Munich terrorist attack or, uh, you know, when JFK Jr. died. He started giving, and she was, you know, very quick, like most of us, giving the dates and the days. But she's very traumatized by the whole experience. But the majority of them, and also, uh, uh, actually, I met seven people because I met the 10-year-old boy, uh, and he, he, he enjoys having it as well. He thinks it's kind of neat, so to speak. Hmm. Oh, by the way, just one thing that I mentioned about uh, people always ask if it's genetic. Uh, I believe the 10-year-old boy is a twin. And one of the, one of the people who's been diagnosed with 8SAM is a twin, but the other twin does not have it. So hmm. it kind of proves it's not genetic. 
Fascinating. Well, Bob, last question I want to ask you for, for someone that might be listening to this who thinks they may have HSAM, that they, they are listening to your story and, and identify with a lot of your, your capacities. Uh, what, what would you recommend that they do? Where can they go to, to verify that and to find more resources out about, about HSAM? They can contact the uh, neuroscience department at uh, UCR Irvine, University of California, Irvine, and Dr. James McGaw is head of the program, and his assistant's name is Nan Collette. You probably can just Google any of those, uh, and uh, they would come up. Nan Collette, C-O-L-L-E-T-T. Maybe I shouldn't be giving it. Well, it's, if you want to use the names, go ahead. Uh, but anyway, Dr. James McGaw, the neuroscience, uh, I don't know if it's institute or lab. I think it's a neuroscience lab at uh, uh University of California, Irvine, which is in Orange County in California, can contact, uh, you can contact them and they will, uh, you know, contact uh, that person via phone or email and then start a series of studies to see if uh, they do qualify. They've uh, done, I think, a couple thousand people. They've studied a few thousand people over the last 15 years or so. Hmm. And one follow-up there, Bob, it, what if, if there were you know, some, some major misunderstandings from the public's perspective about HSAM or, or just things that you consistently have to repeat and correct people on about HSAM, what, what would those things be? Well, uh, because it's autobiographical, it's, you know, I remember almost, or an HSAM person remembers almost every day of their life, uh, you know, once they start remembering dates, you know, but most days of their lives, not every day, but most days of their lives, and the experiences or events around them, and I think they have to be cognizant of the experience. We were on a, uh, a TV show never went, but we were a production company wanted to do a TV show with us, and uh, they were throwing out dates, and we usually were getting one or all of us were getting all of them right, and they threw out September 4th, 1998, and none of us knew what happened on that day. Well, that's the day Google was launched. Mm. But who would really be cognizant of when Google was launched? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, Henry Ford, re- you know, released his first. Well, not even that, because that probably was more of a uh, monumental event. But when Google was launched, probably no one really cared. There probably was uh, something on the business sites that this uh, search engine was launched. But mm-hmm. no one really, you know, this was in the early days of the World Wide Web. No one was really cognizant of that, and so none of us really knew that. Mm-hmm. that so when Google was launched, it was kind of like, well, when was uh, when when was uh, Tom Brady drafted? But no one knew who Tom, except for he and his family, and yeah. <laughs> the University of Michigan. Who knew when Tom Brady was drafted? So I think that's it, it's you know events in our lifetime, and I mentioned you know it's going to be where our interest lie, and also uh, the dates in our lifetime. And it's not autobi- it's not photographic, it's autobiographical, it's not some autistic savant thing. We're not, you know, using some mathematical calculation. We're remembering the experiences. Fascinating. Well, Bob, thank you so much for the time. It was uh, it was great chatting with you, and uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story and, and talking a little sure. about HSAM. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com.